On January 1st, 2020, I woke up early. I mean early, early, at 4.30 a.m. My resolution was to become fluid in adjusting and adapting to the changes of life. Looking back, I don't think I could have set a better goal. Ask and ye shall receive, I suppose, because the pandemic has demanded so much flexibility and improvisation. Aligning with new rules of movement and social activity, adjusting to a new job and even newer working conditions, adapting to the changing climate, both that of Earth and that of our own historical and political designs. With No More Normal, we look to document how people are adjusting and adapting right now, in the present, despite a hazy future. As we enter KUNM's fall fundraising week, today we look at where we've been since the pandemic started. We're using this fund drive as an opportunity to reflect a little. Hard to do when you're stuck in an unending news cycle, but hopefully a pleasant look back if you've been hanging in there with us too. So I'm here with executive producer Marisa DeMarco, and we're talking about covering the pandemic while in the pandemic. So let me ask Mm. you, like, what type of revelations have you made about, you know, being a journalist, working hard to cover all of these stories, yet, you know, it's affecting us personally at the same time. How have you been able to adapt and adjust to that? I would say that there's this silver lining in here. I think as reporters, we're expected to be outside of the stories entirely, right? I definitely was raised up through like old school journalism, right? Like I've been at this a long time. I come from that kind of traditional thinking. What's been nice about this story is that nobody is expecting me to act like this is not also a part of my life, right? As we're thinking of these episodes, we're often thinking of different things that we're experiencing as we go through this, yeah, it helps us nail the timing, yeah. right? Like as we start to experience fatigue, you know, we're thinking about episodes on fatigue and mental wellness and surge capacity, right? That's what we did last week. Yeah. Yeah. So as we try to think in broader terms of how is this affecting the state? How is this affecting the country? How is this affecting the globe? Mm -hmm. It allows us to Mm -hmm. kind of think about it in terms of how am I being affected by it? And something that's come to my mind over the course of 2020 is that everyone on the planet is being affected by COVID. Now, that's something to say, Mm -hmm. but when you really sit down and you get into the meat of that, that, that thought, you say to yourself, well, yes, how is this affecting someone who's living in Syria? differently than it's affecting right how is this affecting somebody who's in my own neighborhood differently than it's affecting me for me you know we've heard the phrase and a lot of people have different opinions on the phrase of we're all in this together because people are saying you know this is hitting some people harder but as collective as humans we all are in this together absolutely that's true now the severity of the impact varies from person to person based on a litany of situations and circumstances. I'm speaking globally here and for the future, like, hey, this is an opportunity for humanity to get a lot of things right and to begin to recognize. And as we've shown through the coverage, you know, it's not just about COVID. It's not just about Black Lives Matter. This is really covering every aspect in how we lead our existence. And that, that, that just kind of brings me a little bit of calm 
during all these mm. uncertain times? Yeah, I mean, we've never been in a moment where the decisions that our elected officials made had such immediate and direct impact on life and death in our communities. So a lot of the work we've done is talking to those officials as they're going through the process of making those decisions, right? And so that's what we're going to hear in the very first part of the show today. And, you know, it's really been, it has been my privilege and my honor to help make this show, to help provide information and connection to people during the pandemic with you. And to be able to do this work in this time has, is, you know, I, I honestly can't always find the words for it, but it's been challenging and it's been the best work that I have done. And I just hope that we always get to keep doing it until until it's done, right? Yeah, yeah, who knows <laughs> when it's going to be done. I agree with you 100%. I say, like, one of the bigger things for me is it's broadened my awareness and understanding of what being human is and what it means. Mm, you know, we're in the middle of the pledge drive. We're doing this thing, and if you want to support the show and all of the other amazing shows on KUNM, you can make your donation at KUNM.org. We're doing it all online this year. Yay! For an understanding of how COVID-19 is impacting the Native community, I'm on the line with Navajo Nation President Jonathan Neds. Let me ask you about the federal government. The U.S. federal government authorized billions for tribes to fight the virus and its effects, but there were bureaucratic hurdles to getting that money. What were those problems? It's an emergency. Yeah. You know, it's a public health emergency here on the Navajo Nation. But, you know, we have the right grants and funding that gets appropriated. It's passed through federal programs and the states. Right now, the nation just don't have time to apply and and send documents up there, wait for an award letter, process to get the money. There's a dire need in Indian country right now. And so it should be a quick allocation to tribes, not through federal programs. And, and, And we've been saying that for many years now. Tribal leaders have been saying this shouldn't be a pass-through, it should be direct appropriation directly to the tribal government. IHS overall has been underfunded. Mm. We don't have the best healthcare system in tribal communities. This should be a wake-up call for all of us leaders to make those changes and get dollars to help our healthcare industry, not lobbyists, not these uh, companies, but for the people and those healthcare service providers clear across the country. So it's not just a Navajo or Indian issue. Of course, we have some problems. Yes, we want to highlight those. But clear across the country, I think it just shows that pandemic like this, we're not equipped for. All right, my next guest is a guest we've been hoping to have for a while. I am on the line with the governor of New Mexico, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Governor Lujan Grisham, thanks for being with me today. You're very welcome. Thanks for inviting me. I'm delighted. Now, it's looking pretty grim for people money-wise. How are you all planning to balance that against these shutdown orders as we're trying to lessen our rates so we can reopen? The $600 funds that are coming to a lot of people on unemployment are, are about to And it's to not dry enough, up. and yet it's making the difference between being homeless or hungry. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's be clear about how significant the lack of economic security is. I have to hope that the federal government is going to get this right 
Uh, we can't rely on that all by itself, which means I need New Mexicans to get the mask wearing and all of the other public health practices, right? The sooner we do that, then the better able we're going to be for the opportunities to reopen safely. Folks sort of want it to be one or the other, right? We have some economic efforts and businesses who are saying we're going to go under. It's not That's not an unfair description. if you don't let us be open. But we're going to be open no matter what the infection issues are and no matter how many cases we're getting each day, which means they basically said we're going to choose our economic security, that reality over people's public health and safety, Mm -hmm. and more people will die. Or they're asking us to choose public health and safety, and then we won't be able to economically recover. And we're basically telling people, They will lose their homes and their families. We have to do both. There's no balance. I have to have both. You deserve both. Every leader wants to succeed in this really tragic environment. If we embrace as a state, like those other countries have, those personal public health responsibilities, you do good public health. You wear your mask, you stay home as much as you can, you limit where you're going, you box this virus in, we'll do better at contact tracing, we'll be faster, we'll do more testing, we'll do more rapid responding, and together we can do both, protect each other and rebuild our economy. To have on the line Mayor Tim Keller, the mayor of Albuquerque. We're coming out of a week and a half of protests and demonstrations. What do you think of the way Albuquerque police handled those? Well, you know, our city is obviously in the center of a national context, and we also have our own issues. Our folks have showed flexibility. They've showed as best they can restraint in trying to respect protesters' rights and keep them safe and also try and protect from violence. There's always challenges, and so I know there's been some incidents that are already under review. I am grateful that no one's been seriously injured at this point and that there hasn't been a lot of damage to the city. Now, APD did use chemical irritants to disperse crowds in a couple of instances, and hundreds of doctors and public health officials nationally say that these lung irritants, specifically tear gas, they create an increased risk for coronavirus spread. Do you think there should be a rule against using those chemicals during the pandemic? It's something that actually went through the courts and the Department of Justice reform process in the fact that we give multiple warnings before it's used and it's one of the actions of last resort. But I understand that during the pandemic, this could be problematic. So we have it under review right now. Representative Holland is with me now. Reports are starting to emerge of people who are inside ICE detention facilities around the country testing positive for COVID-19. ICE is releasing people on a case-by-case basis. Is that enough? You know, I can't even imagine how long that takes, right? Mm -hmm. We do ourselves a disservice by not paying attention to this issue because it spreads like wildfire. The DHS department staff provided a briefing to committee staff on March 20th, and it only exacerbated our concerns for the safety and well-being of the detainees. ICE officials then conceded during the briefing that they didn't have a contingency plan for coronavirus treatment if local hospitals became overwhelmed. Hmm. And that's exactly what's been happening across the country, right? We've been talking about human rights violations and terrible conditions inside ICE detention facilities for years. Little action's been taken to improve the situation. 
So this is sort of like a ticking time bomb. Is there anything at all that Congress can do to change that? The Oversight Committee, we can demand answers. We can keep hammering on them to do what they need to do to act on this issue. Here to talk more about the importance of journalism during this time is the senior senator from New Mexico, Senator Tom Udall. So you and other senators drafted a letter asking that the future relief funding from the federal government include money for local news outlets. Why should that be a priority here in New Mexico during the pandemic? Well, during times of crisis like this, we see just how important local journalism is. It's how people stay informed and keep their families and their communities safe. Sometimes life-saving information flows from these media outlets. But this pandemic is forcing many local outlets across New Mexico to make impossible decisions. They're having to lay people off. For example, the New Mexican laid off 19 people. So, you know, that's a good sized newspaper. I think it's our big capital city newspaper in New Mexico. So it's pretty surprising to hear this happening in such a dramatic way. Mm -hmm. I once had a political science professor in college say that the media is in effect the fourth branch of the government to put checks on all of the other institutions. And that's exactly the way I feel. They are the fourth branch and they're the branch that checks, that does oversight. We'll have links to all of these original episodes so you can hear the full interviews if you want to online at KUNM.org. It's been such an important time to have conversations like these, to talk about and scrutinize government decisions. We want to keep going. If you can help support this show and other great programs on KUNM, head over to our website. We're kicking off our fall 2020 fundraiser on KUNM this week, and you can donate there at KUNM.org. All right, I am here with Kevin McDonald and Julie Ann Grimm, some of our media partners for Nomono. Kevin is the production manager for New Mexico PBS, and Julie Ann is the editor and publisher of the Santa Fe Reporter. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yay, it's been great. This has been kind of a whirlwind year. We started off doing your New Mexico government in January to cover the legislative session. It quickly turned into COVID. It quickly turned into five nights a week, three nights a week. Talk to me about how we started off as a legislative podcast and now we have kind of opened it all up to covering everything that happens in the world. Yeah, I think that, you know, while it sounds like it's this bizarre transformation, it actually goes to with what our goals were from the very beginning, right? Which was to try to pull back the curtain a little bit on the people and the processes and the systems that define our daily lives. At that point, it was during the legislative session and how people were making the decisions decisions they were making and trying to make that super accessible to people and hopefully get them empowered and engaged to want to be involved and have their voice heard. Now through COVID and through Black Lives Matter, all these things have become really exposed and really raw and how they play out in our daily lives. That's still really the goal is to make all that accessible and to really empower people to be involved. Yeah, I think it's really interesting too that we embarked on this collaboration from a very simple 
principle, which is that journalists from each of the three of our organizations are going to be covering the legislature. And couldn't we do it better? And couldn't we serve more people who live in the state of New Mexico if we tried to do it together? If we didn't come up with some fancy creative project, but we just said, let's try to do a good job as a team making the legislature real and accessible for people. And I think that ethos is carried through in all the topics that the show has gone on to explore. Why do you both think it's cool for the audience as a listener? Why is it cool for them when, you know, journalists collaborate across different outlets? Well, there's a a buzz phrase in our industry, an idea within the evolution of journalism that it has to become multimedia or it's going to fail. But as you know, you know, as a radio professional, Kevin knows as a television professional, it takes the bulk of your career to like get good at one of those things. And so trying to be good at radio and TV and print all at once is really going to be more successful with a team that has people who are veterans in the field from all of those areas. I'm learning a ton about what makes good radio, and I hope that other journalists are learning a little bit more about, you know, the structure of words and how they put together. And for the listener and for the watcher and the reader, I think that the benefit of all that experience is really also good plays out into getting a better understanding of whatever it is we're trying to talk about. Yeah, and I would just add to that that a couple things. One, which is that I just think that the media landscape has changed so much in the last five to ten years, and everybody as a consumer likes to get their news how they like to get their news. And so you've got to meet them wherever they are at, and so by having that multi-pronged approach that different ways to get at it. We're serving them better. And that's my second point is secretly, although I'm saying it now, so not so secret, but one of my goals from this all along has been, we know as a profession, we're under fire right now. I think collaborating like this, not getting trapped in competition, serving our own mission collectively, which is to serve our communities and to represent our communities and tell the stories of those communities. I hope and pray that this restores some trust and some faith in journalism in a time where fake news and and all of that is the phrase of the day. I'm a rookie. This is my first year into the official foray of professional journalism, and I'm learning a lot. But I have to imagine you all have been doing this for years. Is 2020 the most trying year of journalism that you've experienced in your careers? 2020, definitely. I think trying in different ways, though I would say journalism has been more and more trying really for the last three or four years because of those attacks I mentioned. And for me, it means it's all that more important that we do the work that we do. Media literacy is a skill that's really being lost, I feel like. And we have to not only just do good reporting so that people understand the world that's going on around them and understand the context of why things are the way they are, but then help them to make those informed decisions. This year has been especially challenging just because everything is such a moving target. And on top of that, you talk about all of our systems and structures around Black Lives Matter, government regulations. We cover a lot of environmental news with Laura Paskus. I know she does work for both of you all as well. And it seems like every week she's sending me some new environmental regulation that's been rolled back 
a lot of times I feel like that image of that little kid at the dam with all the holes and it's leaking and you're trying to find all your toes and fingers to plug them up. That's been the challenge, right? It seems so overwhelming to cover all our bases right now, which is another reason why having this strong team is a big relief to me. The first thing that came to mind when you asked that question was this quote from The Fellowship of the Ring where the wizard Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times. Mm -hmm. Everybody in their time faces a challenge and sometimes are filled with this particular challenge, right? You know, I wasn't a working journalist during the 1960s or during the 1920s, but I think that every era has its challenge and the challenges we're facing now are not insurmountable, not for our civilization and not for the journalism industry. And so really keeping at it is important. And we're going to do that. Yes, we are. Before I let you guys go, tell me a story that has popped up this year that you can't shake from your mind and you think that that deserves greater coverage as we move on with the year. Wow, that's that's Sorry. a tough one. Um, a couple of things come to mind for me, one of which begin with the pandemic and everything that's followed since. I do feel like my entire lens, I think a lot of people's lenses, has just sort of changed. This podcast in and of itself, the name that we've come to now in this iteration just points it out, right? There is no more normal. Everybody wants to say when we get back to normal, but I think our normal has absolutely changed, and I think a lot of people's eyes have really been opened to that fact that things are different now, and I working on a show now in a couple weeks where we're going to devote the whole hour to really looking at police reform and getting different groups of people to talk about everything from behavioral health to legal aspects to protests in the on the street action and conversations I'm having with folks around that is what is it that actually changes people from just noticing something to action and in particular around this we're talking about the shooting of the bartender in Knob Hill and how you know for black people anytime there is a police shooting that's something that often they can relate to instantly so that's perceived differently and here we had this white bartender and the one gentleman I've been talking to you so this has absolutely changed everything for him now and he recognizes it because it hits home a little more for him now but I don't feel like there's much going on in the world right now that doesn't hit home in a way that it maybe hasn't in the past and that we really need to look more inward but also outward for common ground on so many different things as opposed to being so polarized on every issue. Yeah, I think for me, the story that sticks with me the most right now does also have to do with policing. And I keep thinking about how we have empowered the police to act on our behalf and to carry weapons and to try to take actions to, you know, sort of, quote, keep our community safe. But that really spiraled into something that doesn't necessarily represent the values that we want. And... For me in Santa Fe, it was really like this year with the Black Lives Matter movement drawing national attention and, you know, waking people up to this idea of what police violence really is against people of color. And I think about a 24-year-old in Santa Fe whose name is Anthony Benavidez, who is suffering from schizophrenia, who is inside of an apartment, who is separated from the police by a cinder block wall, and they shot 16 bullets at him and they killed him. And I want somebody 
to carry a sign that says justice for Anthony Benavides right here in our town, a victim of police violence certainly not the only one. But I think that telling these stories and watching the community mobilize is affirming in the work that we do and and reminds us to tell more stories and talk to more people and analyze and question the system and the structure with an eye towards it being better for all of us in the future. Yeah. I want to thank you both for being team members, the most awesome team members I've ever had, and that includes my Little League baseball team that went undefeated. <laughs> you, you guys are the best. Ditto. Yes. Ditto. That's really Thanks saying a lot. Yeah, it's been fun, and I'm glad we can keep doing it. Yeah, it's absolutely great, and that's why we do it for you. Kevin McDonald from New Mexico PBS and Julie Ann Grimm from the Santa Fe Reporter, thank you both so much. Thank you, And we want to thank all of you who listened to the show when it was your New Mexico government back then, back in March. You know, 1,000 years ago. The same team brings you this show, No More Normal, and you can support us during KUNM's Fall 2020 Mid-Pandemic Fund Drive over at KUNM.org. For the next part of our hour today, we're diving into some of the social and personal realities we're confronting during this time. I am on the line with David Carroll. He took on Cambridge Analytica, the political consulting firm that was exposed in the data mining scandal detailed in the Netflix documentary, The Great Hack. While states are in the process of reopening, many people are still at home, tethered to their phones. Talk to me about data rights or the lack thereof. Well, I think the big lesson that I learned doing the research out of the 2016 election was that we have not given ourselves equal data rights as our allies and friends across the Atlantic Ocean. Europeans have a fundamental right to their own data and a fundamental right to have it protected. So we're still, you know, going into a increasingly dystopian future without any basic protections. Hmm. Nothing has really changed regarding our elections, but now we're also dealing with the way that data can be used as a pandemic response, Mm -hmm. and then the way that data is being used to respond to the demonstrations and civil unrest. So we have three simultaneous sort of data privacy crises going on at once. The continued election issues, now pandemic, and then our right to freedom of speech and freedom of assembly to protest in public according to the First Amendment. My next guest is Mutale Ngonde. She is the CEO for AI for the people. You know, you work in tech and understanding technology, but also in race relations. How is facial recognition software used by police in demonstrations? It can either be installed in body camera mm. or it could be used once a crime has been committed. And then the final way, and this is a much more egregious way, there was an investigation by Georgetown Law last year that found out that the NYPD, they were using facial recognition database to try and identify potential suspects, Hmm. which really has constitutional implications because that's a warrantless search, but you're also potentially victimizing an innocent person. What responsibilities do tech companies have as they consider you know, how their surveillance technologies are used by law enforcement or other actors. Up until, I want to say, three days ago, tech companies were not taking any responsibility. In cases of facial recognition specifically, there is the high probability of wrongful arrest if you're black. Hmm. 
because the data sets that train these technologies are trained typically on white faces. Okay. And so they don't even have the capability to distinguish one black face from the other. I mean, a horrible, horrible racist joke is the idea that all black people look alike. But unfortunately, because of the way these technologies are trained, that is literally the case for many, many of these systems. Right now on the line with me is Maria Elena Lopez. I talked to her early on in the COVID-19 pandemic because she had lost her mom. So how have you been doing? How have you been holding up in these past few months? You know, I've been doing okay. Definitely going through the healing process. So I definitely have my highs and my lows. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to say I have more highs than I expected. Yeah, that's good to hear. Tell me about some of these highs you've experienced. Just being able to get through a day. Actually, yeah. <laughs> it's really crazy, but being able to get through a day and not feel like I'm going to have a mental breakdown because the loss is so great. And yes, it's still a very lonely feeling, but being able just to get through the day and be like, hey, I'm stronger than I thought I was. But then I'm starting to feel like my mother's strength inside me. I've got that spunkiness that she had. And like when I feel like I can't do something, I'm like, you know what? No, I can do it because my mama taught me. In different places, in different cultures, you know, someone loses a family member, they're given a lot of time to grieve. Yes. And out here, it's kind of like, we're sorry for your loss. Okay, now we have to get back to business. Have you, right. have you just slowed down? You know, I think I did right when my mother passed. I think I gave myself that time. But now at this moment, I've just been trying to get up and keep myself busy because I feel like the idle time is the worst time. So when I am just sitting here... I allow myself to be filled with all of these emotions and it's really hard to take it all in. So to keep myself busy and healthy and I feel just to keep myself mentally healthy, just going outside like I put up my own fence. Okay. Um, it was harder than heck, but I did it and it was just something that was challenging to me, but it really helped me out. Yeah. You find a challenge and you meet that from, yes. from what I remember about the conversation about your mom. That's what she did. She's, there was not a challenge she saw that she couldn't meet. Exactly. No summer this year for young adults. To get an idea of how they're enduring the current times, I spoke with four people under the age of 30. My name is Jeremy Jasper. I'm Taylor Vasquez. My full name is Ronald Kyrie Posey. I go by Kyrie. My name is Lexi Sanchez. When we first went into quarantine, I didn't think it was going to last this long. So just like being busy with school has been a real blessing. It's been hard. I feel like especially for young people growing up, it's hard to be content and just sit down and be with yourself. I feel like we're always trying to do something, but I've really been trying to just enjoy and appreciate the things that are in front of me instead of running to something. The pandemic, although it has a lot of bad context around it, I'm actually doing, you know, very well. I've had time to spend to myself, slow down a bit, get business things handled that I have needed to do for a while now. I don't know. I'm just a socially driven person for sure. So to not be able to do that has been really hard on me. On top of that, I think that I put a lot of like my self-worth on my ability to succeed and get things completed. And right now, like because everything is on hold, it's just been having to be okay with being on hold, which is really difficult. There's definitely a reason I signed up for therapy. So are you out there partying or have you listened to the guidelines and decided to rein that in a little bit? It has. It has stopped me from uh, going out with friends and partying or any kind of social gatherings. And it just made me think about 
how often we do need to go out and do those type of things. During the pandemic, we've learned that maybe it's something you don't have to do every week. So I haven't, no. I'm very nervous about gathering in large groups or even a couple people because you just never know where other people have been. And I'm like a high risk. I have a lot of autoimmune disorders. So just trying to keep isolated and by myself. Most of my friends, they're all from like the restaurant industry. So we're all used to having to work. Weekends are the busiest time. Holidays are the busiest time. So now that we actually have this free time on weekends and we have this free time, like they really are trying to utilize that. And I'm really trying not to, you know, crucify them for coping with this however they are. But I think some people do have to realize that it's bigger than us and it's bigger than a weekend off, you know? I think music is our most persuasive art form. It's definitely the most influential form of entertainment. I put a panel together. In order of appearance, we have A. Billy Free, Awad Bilal, Jeff Jazztone Alberson, Sebastian Seb Eckleby, and Roscoe Flofader Floyd. So, so when you all are creating creating your music and writing it, do you do you do you think about the messages that you're sharing with the world? Firstly, I'm I'm I make I make music for myself, but I do understand that it goes out into the public. And so when I'm further crafting my message, I take a look at how to be as universal as possible. I want to hit a middle ground with everyone. And so that is sort of how the reflecting social times would form a message in my music. This is a lot. I think I think I think that all of us are experiencing this in real time. The visibility is in us. I I think we are responsible for kind of like making sure that we feel seen. I mean, DC is full of artists. We're a black city. This is what we do. Um, But a thought that came to me is that I feel like music in the hip hop sphere, but also in other forms of music, gives a message anyway. And I look at musicians and celebrities who haven't said anything and who have said anything. So for example, like Kendrick Lamar, why does he need to say anything more? He's already said everything in his music. So why is there the pressure for celebrities and musicians to be out in the forefront when they've already spoken on it in their albums and in their artwork? I think I know when the commercialization of hip hop really and truly began. It was with MC Hammer. MC Hammer had Pepsi deals. He had endorsements that hip hop hip hop acts did not have at the time. They already saw that it could sell because of the controversial music. We had the NWA release, we had two live crew in the controversy down in Dade County, Florida. I think that is when it really started. This is Jeff, the period you're talking about is the period where we started to refer to the music as rap, 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 rap music. You have to think about that. In that same time period as MC Hammer, MC Hammer, MC Hammer, or whatever else was going on in that time period, we started calling it rap music as it started to chart and compete with what was traditionally known as pop, 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 pop. And they tried to keep it out of the pop charts for a minute by creating a rap chart. Rap, or that terminology, is synergistic with commercial hip-hop music. We even understand the signaling of it. When we're talking about hip-hop, we're thinking about something that might actually have some content to it, that might leave you with some substance. We understand that rap music is for the moment to get an immediate reaction like an Instagram post. So we're talking about hip-hop versus Rap, 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 rap music, truthfully. No More Normal is brought to you by your New Mexico government, a collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage comes from the New Mexico Local News Fund, the Kellogg Foundation, and KUNM listeners like you. Support for public media provided by the Thornburg Foundation.
And we're back at Nimono headquarters with executive producer Marisa <laughs> DeMarco. We just got out of a segment where we talked about the realities of the moment. Yeah, and the way that some of these things, they were issues before the pandemic, but then it's almost like they become very sharp, very clear in the pandemic, right? So I love the panel that you had talking about hip-hop music and music industry that we were just listening to because it is evaluating like the significance of art and pop culture during the pandemic, right? I, I think it also talks to how much faith should we be putting into the arts, mm-hmm. you know, because because uh, how impressionable some people are and some people swear by it. It's not just music. They swear by, you know, life lessons from television, from visual art, sure. uh, from film. Yeah. And I'm like, definitely take things from it. But I wouldn't really base one's life off of it. But people do. I was glad to have that conversation with so many different perspectives with people from different parts of the country who are all involved in the industry. Another one that I really enjoyed was talking to David Carroll and Mutane and Conde, really speaking about technology, how there's just been this push recently in the past few years, particularly with COVID, there's been a talk about maybe all these technological advancements aren't good for us. And that's kind of how I feel personally. I'm looking at it and it's like, okay, we're just going to invest and go for this technology just because we can. And my grandmother told me a long time ago, when I was seven years old, she said, just because you can do something, it doesn't mean that you should. And, (laughs) you know, it kind of feels like this Mm -hmm. big brother 1984 situation after you get done listening to those stories. You know, these are things we're going to have to think about as we move forward into the future. Is technology something that's meant to ease our way of life or is it something that's going to take over our way of life? Yeah, I have a fantasy, a post-pandemic fantasy of ditching all social networks and email also. I just want to be, yeah, people are going to have to write me letters in the future, I think. Hey, (laughs) let's take it back. Let's take it back to that. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, we have all of these very, very serious shows and some of them have been trying, but we've also taken time to recognize while horrific things occur, in my view, there's universal balance. There's also good things that happen. Coming up, taking a look at some of our weird, funny, and cool stories that we covered. What's something that stands out to you that you really enjoyed that we've done so far? Okay, one of my faves, one of the coolest things that I think we've had on this show is that there's so much controversy around mask wearing and people feeling like it is super hard and really inconvenient. We had this runner who goes 20 miles in the Albuquerque heat like in a hundred degree plus weather wearing a mask she just runs and she took a recorder along for us and just kind of documented that experience and I loved the tape I loved her raw tape actually before I even was selecting what to put in the show it was just like super interesting to hear her going that distance I really did enjoy that one I liked talking to a young man by the name of Santiago Cooper He was Mm -hmm. a rising junior in school, you know, an athlete. I think we covered it for our sports episode. And, you know, he's a great baseball player. And, you know, he's really looking forward to playing in the season. And to just hear this young man express his disappointment, but the way he was able to handle it and carry it and adapt and adjust at 15, 16 years old. I tell you, after listening to that, I had, I mean, I've always had really a lot of faith 
and hope for the youth of the future. But, you know, to see these young people all across, even in the previous segment where we had the youth waterfall talking to these young Mm -hmm. adults as they're going through life, the way they're able to handle what other generations would consider are heavy blows, but they're getting these repeatedly, their character, their makeup, they are a strong bunch. And um, that's something that I really enjoy. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorite pieces of radio that we've done is the shout out show. So Mm. we did what I was calling the old school shout out show because I grew up listening to the radio and listening to these shout out shows. People call up and give little messages to each other. I always love them. So we did one during this time and it was really fascinating because it also really encapsulated this moment, right? Like people are giving shout outs to family members who are in nursing homes who they can't talk to all the time or to friends or partners that they miss who they can't see because of physical distancing. So it ended up being like these little messages between people in a time when communication is a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, I talk to my parents, which I do a lot. Um, And and, and people like it. I talk to my folks. I'm like, you guys, if you come out to Albuquerque, you're a hit. People absolutely love you both. Um, (laughs) And for them, for them, they're like, you know, we talk to you like this all the time. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I called my mom the other day and she's like, do you want me on the show again? Like it was a bird. And I was like, I think I'm going to have to start paying them. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Okay, there has to be a fee then. They're exactly. They're, yeah. Exactly. They're like your co-hosts. They're your secret co-hosts. Straight up. They straight up yeah. are, you know. <laughs> so it happens also to be our pledge drive week. Kicking it off mm-hmm. today on Sunday. And if you really do enjoy the shout out show, if you enjoy listening to marathon runners wear a mask as the mask controversy was in full height or a funny story from <laughs> Sarah Kennedy or some old wise anecdotes from either one of my parents, be sure to donate to KUNM during our pledge drive so we can continue to give you this content that we love and we hope that you love as well. Just go to KUNM.org. There's more to come from there. Local comedian Sarah Kennedy shared a story with us about a disappearing act that almost ran afoul. So this story is from the before times, and it is so before timesy. This story could in no way happen right now. I am the least competitive person that I know. I am probably the least competitive person on earth, unless there was, of course, somebody else who wanted that title, and then they could have it. I don't need it. I am so not competitive that I had to quit softball when I was little because my parents had an intervention with me where they told me that I was boring to watch. Okay, so you were like that kid on the court who would get the ball and just stand there and the rest of your team is like, Sarah, do something. And you're like, I'd rather not. In soccer, I was always the goalie because I just wasn't real good at running. Nice. Um, I like that. All of this came together in this event that I was able to throw when I lived in Brooklyn, New York, called the Chicken Chase. If you've never heard of the Chicken Chase, I will explain to you what the Chicken Chase is. Does it involve a real chicken? No. Were you expected to run during any part of this? Absolutely not. Uh, But it's still called a chicken chase. So if you signed up for the chicken chase, what you had to do is bring $20 with you. That got split in half. Half of it went to the prize pot and half of it went to charity. And then everybody had to put their name in a bucket. And right before we kicked off the full chicken chase, we pull a name from the bucket. And whoever's name gets pulled then has to put on a full chicken costume. We're talking 
head with the beak and little footy pieces, and then they'd go disappear into, into the, the night, night with the prize money, and they get to pick whatever bar or restaurant is within the vicinity, sit there, and then just start drinking with the money in the prize pot. You can also get some food too. In fact, it was encouraged. Then what happens is everybody else has to go on a search for the chicken, peeking into every bar and restaurant along the way, supporting them. It's a nice pub crawl situation, you know? And then uh, the first team to find the chicken gets the rest of the prize money. So the, the key is to find the chicken as quickly as possible. This is Liz McKenzie starting a run. It's a pretty hot day. <laughs> I'm bundled up. I have a loose bandana over my face when I normally wear when I run because of COVID. No hat, sunglasses, tons of sunblock, a water backpack. I keep salt packets in my backpack to keep my water intake in. I do have a couple snacks because <laughs> I'll probably be out here for a while. Alright, so I'm now too. Just kind of settling into what pace I might want to set for myself. I've gotten really used to uh, running with a face covering on, even through the heat. And in my head, in my head it's making me stronger. Mile 16. Taking a walking break. Sun's almost down, it's getting really cool. Technically perfect, but perfect for running. But I mean, I've been out all day, so I uh, I got to a point where I turned off my music, so now I can kind of listen to uh, the bosque kind of start to shut down for the night. All right, so this episode is asking how you are doing. On the line with me now is Santiago Cooper, now a junior shortstop at Sandia Prep High School. How are you doing, Santi? I'm doing good, kind of getting used to all this. You know, it's, it's becoming the new normal, having to stay inside and social distance yourself from other people. So you're getting used to it. Does that mean you like it? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How are you adjusting to socially, to your relationships with your friends and your teammates? I feel like we're adjusting well. I wish I could go with each other still. I've been here and there like probably once a month seeing one of my close friends and we've been social distancing and riding on our skateboards and, and whatnot. So that's been fun. I mean, these are formative years of your life where you're going right. through a global pandemic, you know? And how has this, if any way, how has this changed you? It's definitely made me really like not take stuff for granted because, you know, Going to school, I never thought I'd say in a million years, oh man, I wish I was in school right now. It's definitely humbled me in that sense. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Welcome to your New Mexico government. I'm your host with the most. Khalil, always keep it real. A Kulona. We're going to go a little old school today and we're giving shout outs. That's right. Hey, what's your name? Becky Jones. Hey, Becky, who you gonna shout out? To Shanoe Atom, my grandma. I love you and I miss you and I can't wait to hug you. That is beautiful. I'm sure she can't wait to hug you either. What are you gonna do this weekend? <laughs> I am going to take it easy, do some reading, relax, take care of myself. Word them up. We'll enjoy it. Thank you. This is 
Ruby, and I have a shout out to my best friend Moses in Corrales. I miss you, Moses, and I can't wait to have a sleepover with you when this is all over. I'd also like to give a shout out and thank you to my second grade teacher, Miss Kim. I hope you're doing okay, and I miss you so much. Nice. Thank you so much, Rudy, for giving a call to the YNMG shout-out line. Shout-out to you, sir. This is Kathleen Dexter, and I'm sending a shout-out to my dad, George Dexter, who is 95, and he's one of the nursing home residents who tested positive for coronavirus. His test was early in April. And he did get sick, and he got through it. He's now testing negative, and we're all relieved. We hope we get past this so we can see him again. It's been two months since any of us have seen him. So anyway, Dad, I love you very much, and I thought of you a lot and thought of Mom on your anniversary last week. would have been 72 years of you guys together, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you again. Oh, Kathleen, I'm so glad that your dad healed up. Oh, yes. We, we were all holding our breath. When I have questions of a great and grand nature, I often talk to my parents. I decided to call my father, Ademola A. Colonna, who recently retired as the program coordinator with a hospital-based violence intervention program in Baltimore, and who is a babalao of the Yoruba tradition. I just wanted to talk to you about this situation that we're in. We're in the midst of a global pandemic as well as this, this uprising, particularly of awareness around racism, white supremacy, more in specific, police violence. Well, I look at it as a confluence of events that is creating a lesson that no one can avoid. A pandemic is seen as the earth expressing its displeasure with what's going on. It's not only so much that the earth is being abused in terms of pollutions and tortures, but that there's a prevailing injustice happening. Babaluaye is the name of the spirit that expresses as a pandemic or a virus, uh, some kind of disease that's going to spread among population. And the characteristic of Babaluaye is that he will bring the king to his knees because Babaluaye does not have any preferences. No one, black, white, colors, male, female, high class, low class, no class, employed, unemployed, anyone can be infected. So the thing is to be cool and self-reflect. Am I being unjust? Am I being unfair? Am I doing things that insult the earth? Those were the traditional measures, what the individual could do in response. Hey, call mommy. Calling mommy, mobile. Hello? Hello, Ia, how are you? I am fine, son, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm calling you to see how everything's going, how you're doing with the social distancing regulations, how you're doing with, you know, keeping the place clean and disinfected. How's everything? Everything is going along pretty good. I'm doing what I should do in disinfecting, and and I do go out, but when I come in, I wipe everything down, wash my hands, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. It sounds, sounds like it's a bit, bit of a drag to you. Well, it, it is a bit. You know, you get a little claustrophobic in the house, but uh, that's the best that we can do. We have to do it in order to stay safe. Yeah, how's everybody in the building? 
everybody seems to be fine. They're keeping their distance and they're obeying the rules of not gathering and that kind of thing. And everybody looks out for each other. Everybody calls each other to make sure that everybody's okay. Well, I'm going to make sure that you stay safe and you stay healthy. I will. And because of you and your sisters who check on me all the time, I, uh, I don't have a choice. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it looks like we're getting down to the end of our hour, Marisa, when we went down memory lane of just six <laughs> months ago. You know something that uh, is interesting <laughs> in this strange time warp of 2020? The fires in Australia were in February, but why does that feel like it was two years ago? Ooh, it really feels long ago and that's how the whole last six months have been right like I was thinking back to some of the work we've done we had this cool piece about when we had that moth infestation Mm -hmm. you know that was this year that was this pandemic that that happened Mm -hmm. right and it feels like another time with everything happening every day is a new reality every day there's new news personally for us there's news within the city within the state the country it's something it can be overwhelming a bit which explains last week's episode but also it really helps you understand how much happens in our lives think about how much actually went down and passed us by before 2020 and before COVID. That's a good point. You know, maybe there's something about the pace of the news that makes it feel all compressed, but maybe it's also just that we're paying such close attention to it because the stakes are so high. So maybe this stuff has always been happening at this pace, but we're just observing it a lot more closely right now. And it's been wonderful to kind of grow with this show as it's changed so much. I mean, how do you feel? We First, we started off doing five nights a week, a half hour. Then we went to, well, we were doing an hour. I'm sorry. We Yeah, we did five nights a week, an hour, mm-hmm. which I don't know how we did that. I don't have no <laughs> idea how we did that. We tapped into some dormant superpowers right there. Um, That's right. <laughs> then we did a half hour. Then we did three days a week. Mm-hmm. And now we're weekly an hour. And every time we've changed up our format, it feels like a different show. Yeah. And, you know, we get to grow with it. We get to try out new ideas and to bring more of our reflections of this moment into this space and share it with folks. And it's wonderful. I'm wondering what this is going to look like in December. The show itself is evolving. I think right now we're in a place where we're digging in to historic understanding, to contextual understanding, to national and global scope of what we're talking about. And then also digging deeper inside of individual psychology and and inside of ourselves. That's where we've been, you know? And uh, I don't know, I don't know where we're going aside from that we're committed to keep telling stories and to keep making good radio yep that's exactly where we're going we're going to keep on doing what we've been doing and we're going to keep getting better at it and if you want to hear us along this journey donate a couple bucks to KUNM so we can keep on giving you this coverage that we enjoy and are so honored to do for you. We hope that you enjoy it yourself. Please just go to KUNM.org to donate a little bit more. With all the stuff we've covered, like we know this is a tight time for a lot of people and the folks are strapped for cash, Mm -hmm. you know. 
and that's okay. That's okay. Not not everybody's gonna be able to donate this fun drive. Totally cool. That doesn't mean we'll ever stop showing up and being committed to doing this work. Yeah, exactly. You know? If you can't mm-hmm. donate some money, mm-hmm. donate your ear and your attention and share it with someone who you think may appreciate it. That's a perfect thing to do. Yeah. 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 We want to thank you all for listening these past six months. We have a lot more in store for you. Yes, and we always give thanks to Jazz Tone, the producer, Cheo, Dom Life, and Olad Records for providing music for the show. I love using their music as I knit these episodes together. Really feel grateful to them. Yes. Uh, Kaki, Pope Yes, Yes, Y'all, and Bigwa also produced some of the show's themes. No More Normal is executive produced like a boss by Marisa DeMarco. <laughs> and it is hosted and produced by Khalil Ekelona. And for everyone here at Nomono, we want to thank you all for listening so much. 